Good morning. It's good to be here today. It's good to be together. Uh, it's been mentioned. We're glad for all those that are visiting. Appreciate each of you being here. Mentioned Wednesday night, desire to speak on the providence of God, and there's been a couple of recent uh, events that kind of had this on my mind. Trevor talked about the flooding. That's kind of one of the things that had this topic on my mind lately. We've seen a lot of flooding in our immediate area here uh, that we're not used to seeing, rain and the results of that rain. You know, you see uh, the tornadoes in Perryton and tornado in Matador this week, those types of events. I can remember throughout my life seeing those kind of events and how people respond and react to those events. And very often you get opinions with people throwing God's name into those events one way or the other. And you get people of the opinion that God's punishing somebody when it's something destructive or, or uh, you know, causing, causing them to feel the pain of that and those types of things. So all of these recent weather events have kind of been on my mind. The second thing is we attended several events in and around graduation this year. One of them was a baccalaureate event. Many of you probably went to as well or have been to that type of thing. The speaker at that event this year was a very uh, genuine and honest guy, a, a guy that's um, well-known to all the students there in Canyon. Um, he was a coach there at the school at one point in time. Now he's a, he works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Really, really good guy. And he, as he spoke and talked about um, his life and his message to the kiddos this year, he was one of those types of people that was very direct in his um, statements about God controlling parts of his life. And he said, you know, God had spoke to him and told him that he should take certain jobs, that he should leave certain jobs. God spoke to him about where he should live and things like that. And it's really a curious thing to me. And, and you see various different levels of how people view God's control in our lives. And I want us to think about that for a little while this morning. And hopefully uh, you'll find this beneficial and and the study to be uh, something that builds you up in the faith. But how, how much does he control our lives? You know, does he send these disasters and these floods to send us a message? Does he, does he really give us a new job? Does he tell us where to live? Does he speak to us about those things? And I think the scriptures talk to us about the nature of God and what he's like, and I think we can really... Uh, determine how to have the proper perspective about how God interacts with us in the scriptures. And so that's what I desire to do this morning. Look at all of these various conversations in and around this and, and really try to figure out how, how does God really interact with us in our lives. There's a couple, as I said, different, really extreme viewpoints on this. One of them is kind of a Calvinist viewpoint. There's a quote by John Calvin himself, all events whatsoever are governed by the secret counsel of God. And I read that quote, and I thought, well, you know, he's making a strong statement there, but he doesn't literally mean that absolute. And then you read more and more about the Calvinist belief, and that's exactly how he means that. It is very absolute in his belief at that. He is a, means, thinks that God is a literal puppeteer pulling the strings on our lives, causing everything that happens in our lives to happen that way. It's a very extreme view of that. And there's many people in the world that believe that as well. I have a a friend that I do business with and something bad like these floods or something will happen and he'll say, God's punishing them. They, they, he's seen them do something in their lives that he knew was contrary to God's will and he's saying, God's punishing them for doing that. So you have a very extreme view of those things. Certainly that Calvinist belief is that way. You know, they believe that, um, that God is literally controlling those 
strings of our lives like we're, like we're puppets. And you all know what that looks like. You've seen those people with those old wooden puppets. And people have this image of God sitting up there with that lever, yanking on those strings and causing us to do all these things that occur in our lives. So on the other hand, you have it, you know, people that believe. And I, I guess I should say also that um, you know, we're kind of sitting aside the atheist viewpoint this morning for obvious reasons. Uh, the atheist view of all this is God's not interacting in any way because he doesn't exist. So that argument aside this morning for the purpose of this discussion, uh, the other viewpoint is that God created everything and set all of these laws in, in place, and then he sits back and observes without any interaction at all. So where's the truth? You know, probably like most things, somewhere in the middle is the truth. But, you know, does he really not interact at all? Does he not have any control of our lives? What is God's providence? That word providence, that's not a word we use every day in our life. If you look it up, it's, it, it means literally kind of a forward-thinking view of things. What's, you know, but it's used in, in, Christian world, in the Christian world in a broader sense. How much does God really control directly in our lives? And I think the Scriptures talk about this. And I want to say before we get too deep into it, Jason talked Wednesday night about some of the difficult things in Scriptures. And, and this is certainly one of those as I think about this, and it's not so much like, like his example where you turn to a passage and you read that passage and it just kind of boggles your mind and you, it's difficult to figure out and, you know, it's hard to understand and you, you hear something all your life and you still don't really have a good understanding. That verse he talked about in Hebrews was one of those. This is more that way because you can search and search and search the Scriptures and still come away scratching your head at some of this. Me and Trevor were talking about Wednesday night how it's, we're the kind of guys that want definitive answers to stuff, and this is not one of those things where you just get definitive answers. So how do you deal with those kind of things? Well, we've got to get to the, God, the nature of God. What is his nature? How does he view us? How does he view his creation? How does he interact with his creation? And I think we're going to attempt to do that this morning. Hopefully you'll be benefited by that study. And I want to use a personal example this morning to hopefully help illustrate some of this, and it may seem a little bit like a trivial example, but it's a recent event, and it's, uh, I think it'll help us in that too. But, you know, I, I've observed many times people um, almost daily, certainly weekly on social media, and probably especially in the circles that most of us would run in where you're in and around people that would call themselves Christians, and we certainly live in a part of the world that would be more religious than, than other parts of the world. But you see people um, post on Facebook or something, and they'll just say, Something happened in their lives, and God is so good. You ever see that? It's God is so good. And it may be that they got a new job, or they got some big promotion at work, or, you know, you think about all these athletes that um, will just say, God is so good. I, you know, we just won the Super Bowl, and I just want to give all the glory to God. He's so good. Whatever the case may be, right? You go on a vacation. Somebody gets to do something really fun or cool. God is so good. We recently had the opportunity to go to Hawaii. We took a senior trip, it's a trip that none of my family has ever been on anything like this before. One of the most beautiful places in the world, I suspect. Certainly one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. You just stand there in awe of the countryside. There's mountains and beaches and oceans. Everything that, that you think of as a beautiful place, this was it. And I certainly feel blessed in that we got to do that and it was a really great experience. Did God have some control over that in my life? You know, people will say that. People say, God is so good that I went there. The, the truth is we do stuff like this and all these good things happen. God is good whether these things happen or not. 
whether I get to go to Maui or whether I get the promotion or whether I win the Super Bowl or my team wins the Super Bowl. God's good whether any of that happens or not. So the better question is, did God truly directly interact in my life and send me to Hawaii? Did he really intervene in my life and get me that promotion or get me that job? Or did he really care that the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl or whoever it was? Does he really care about those things? And it, some of them we kind of giggle at and laugh at, and it seems trivial, but people think that. People believe that stuff. And so we got to really have a good perspective on, on how he views us on this stuff. How does he interact with us on this stuff? There's two problems with this kind of thinking, really. Number one, I know my life. I know what I do on a daily basis. I know the things I don't do on a daily basis that I'm supposed to do. And I know they're not worthy of getting to go to Hawaii. So that breaks down. I know there's nothing good enough in my life that God would intervene and do this for me. It breaks down on that. The second thing is how do we look at bad things? That's the real challenge in this whole conversation is when you get to the bad things that happen to people. We talked about the rains and all the flooding. This is a shot one of my neighbors has a buddy that... um, either has a helicopter or is a pilot or something. I don't know the full details, but after the rains that happened a couple of weeks ago, this guy took him up in a helicopter with him, and they flew over our neighborhood. And my house isn't in any of the photos, but my house is somewhere right down in this vicinity. Um, this is right as you're going into Canyon. Um, there's not a lake there. There's generally not water there. So it is a, there is a creek bed there. Um, but we got a lot of rain and a lot of water. And I woke up on June the 1st in Hawaii to a bunch of missed calls and text messages from friends and neighbors asking if we were okay, asking if our house was okay. And we had no idea what was going on until we started looking at photos and videos and things like that. This is probably 30, 40 foot deep water. Um, It was dammed up at some point to put a road in here that has some drainage built into it, but clearly wasn't enough or adequate with all the rain we got. It ended up filling up more than this and going over the road in several parts. It was moving so swiftly, it ended up eroding the pavement, washing it out, and it ended up washing out significant parts of this road, doing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. Does God hate me now? Because while I'm in Hawaii, my house and property is getting destroyed. You see how this line of thinking is such a challenge. The interesting part of this, and the reason I use this example, is because these two photos were literally taken hours apart from each other. I'm standing on a beach in Hawaii taking a photo, and my neighbor's taking a photo of my house, and our road's being destroyed, and now there's literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage to this road that's going to have to be dealt with. There's got to be engineering studies to figure out if the drainage is proper. It may have to be torn out completely. There may have to be a bridge. No idea. People have, we have no idea what's going to be done with that. So my question is, is God still good? Does he hate me now? What is his view of all of this? How does he interact with us? What does he, what does he do? And the truth is, I think we can understand enough about God's nature to know he's not literally pulling strings like this to do these kind of things. But that all of this does point to his nature and how he interacts with us and how we should view his interaction with us, how we should view our interaction with him because of all these various things. And that's what we're going to try to figure out this morning. 
The first thing that we need to understand about his nature, and I think it's really important to establish, is he truly is the ultimate authority. He truly is sovereign. The Calvinists have that right. They're not wrong in that, that he is truly a sovereign God. Listen to how Paul describes him when he wrote to Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy about all the things that he wants him to do and how he should behave as a servant. And as he gets down to talking about God and Jesus, he says, he who is blessed and only sovereign, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Who else can that be said about? He, this translation, anyway, uses, uses the word sovereign, the word we're using this morning. Immortal. All these things, the ways that he described them. He is the ultimate authority, and he is sovereign. Could God do all that stuff if he wanted to? I believe he could. He could put me on the shores of Maui if he wanted to. He could destroy my property if he wanted to. He could do all of these things. He is sovereign. Calvinists have that one right. Mankind always has ideas about the things that are doable or not doable. You know, I know your ways are higher than my ways, saith the Lord. We we read all those scriptures, right, about how, you know, man has these ideas about the way things should be and how we should do things, and but how inadequate our thinking is relative to God's. You might remember a story when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. Somebody recently spoke about that. I can't recall who it was, but we've heard lessons on that many, many times, right? The rich young ruler, this man who came to Jesus and said, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've done all these for my youth up. And Jesus said, well, you need to sell all that you have and give to the poor. And that really struck the chord with this man. He couldn't do it. That was his one thing that he couldn't do. He couldn't give all his stuff to the poor, and he just couldn't let go of the riches that he had in this life. Jesus went on in that description after he tells his disciples that story. He went on to say it's how hard, how hard and how difficult it is for a rich, a rich man to enter into heaven. So much so that he repeated it. He told them how difficult it was, and he said it's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that they were astonished at this, and they said to him, what do we do? How, how can it happen then? Who can be saved is what they said to him. Who then can be saved? If it's that difficult, how is it even possible? His response to them was, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so as we think about the providence of God and God's control in our lives, I think we always have to have that understanding that with God all things are possible. We should never discount the fact that that's the case. So I would submit to you, he can do all of these things we talked about. But he doesn't choose to interact with us this way. I think I've told the story before, time we spent so much time in the hospital when Tara was pregnant with the boys, I've, I think I mentioned that I, I don't personally feel like my prayer life has ever been better than those eight or nine weeks we were in the hospital when she was in early labor and then the boys were born early, so then they spent a chunk of time there. We just lived at that hospital for little over two months, and I, don't, I really don't believe my prayer life was ever better than it was at that time. And I really believe that God had a hand in us in that situation, getting out of that hospital with ultimately little to no significant issues. I mean, certainly it was a trying time, and it was a difficult time and all that, but 
Tara made it through just fine with no health issues. The boys were way early. They came out of it with really very little issues considering how early they were born. And I truly believe that God played a role in that. How? I can't tell you that. It would be arrogant of me to say that he fixed everything in that situation directly and intervened so that there were no complications, but I think it would also be arrogant of me to say that he couldn't have helped us in any way. And that's how challenging all this stuff is. He certainly can do it. But what about the people that spend eight weeks in the hospital and something happens to the mother? That happens. Or the babies are born eight weeks premature and they don't make it. That happens. So does God love me more than them? It's a very challenging line of thinking, and I think it's, I think it's one that's really difficult. And I think at the end of the day, the exercise in trying to assign all of these individual things specifically to God pulling the strings is kind of a futile exercise. And if I don't get anything else across this morning, I hope that, that, that that's the thing I'm trying to get across is Let's change our perspective on how we view his interaction to the point where it allows us to think about these things in a different way. But if God doesn't act on these things, why do we pray? If, he, if you're in the camp, the, the opposite camp from the Calvinist, that he's not pulling the strings, but he doesn't interact with us in any way, he doesn't help in any way, doesn't intervene in any way, why do we pray? You ever think about that? Why would we say a prayer? Seth prayed in his prayer this morning for those that are on our sick list. We pray for healing. We pray for comfort. We pray for many things. We pray for rain. We pray for it. I was joking Tommy the other night, like, you and Winston, can y'all kind of hold off on the brain prayers for just a little bit? We got an expensive road to rebuild. We're never happy. But why do we pray for things? If he's, if he's not willing to help, why, why do we pray? Why do we pray for healing? That's probably the most common example. Certainly he can help. Certainly he answers prayers. The scriptures say that. And certainly he provides for us in that way. With God, all things are possible. Because I don't believe that God interacts with us in this puppeteer fashion, I think it's really important for us to think about the choices of man, the choices that man makes. And we could really summarize the discussion about the choices that man makes as a, as a free will discussion. God created man with free will. Now, that, again, that's something that's debated in the, in the community, in the religious community. But the Scriptures teach that. God created man with free will, and we have to really understand that, I think, because a lot of this discussion comes down to man's choices, the choices that we make on a daily basis. Everyday life, spiritual matters, how we interact with people, it's not a hard concept really for Americans to latch onto. We love our free will. We love freedom, the idea of being free. So it's not hard to latch onto, but where does it begin? Where does it end? Where does it, how does it mesh with this idea that God is all-powerful, that he's sovereign? How does all that stuff work together? Joshua chapter 24 and 15. Maybe is there a more posterized verse in the Bible than this? What does Joshua tell them at the end of all this? you got to make a choice. Choose who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve these gods that these people have in these foreign lands? All these people that they've interacted with and you've seen their gods and the things that they worship? Is that who you're going to serve? Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If God's pulling the strings on everything, why do they have to make a choice? Why do we have to make a choice? It should be really clear to us. 
He's not controlling the outcome like that and that he has given this something to us as free choice. Think about it just in terms of simple physical things. All the choices we make on a daily basis, crossing a street, pushing the brakes on a car, all these, all these things. We went to the Grand Canyon a few years back, kind of, sort of. We passed by on a trip, decided we wanted to see it and stop. And we didn't spend a lot of time there. The boys were probably five or six at the time, and Tara had a death grip on them the whole time. So it wasn't enjoyable for anybody, but we still wanted to see it. And we walked out, and they have, right at the top of that thing, they have a, um, like a little lookout area, a fenced-in lookout area that you can walk out to and really kind of see it. And we walked out to that. We're just observing how amazing that thing is. And a park ranger came up with a group of eight or ten people that he was kind of doing a private tour for. And you can see people along the edge of that thing at various points. The trails kind of start to take off from this area, and you can see people walking. And there's this guy walking out on this little bluff that went out away from everything else. And he wasn't in a spot that was really dangerous, so it wasn't like anybody was freaking out or anything. But that park ranger said, you guys see where this guy's at? He said, last week a guy walked out to the edge of that bluff and jumped to his death. And he said, believe it or not, it's one of the highest suicides area, areas in the country because of, because of that. And a man just walked out there and jumped. That man made a choice, a free will choice to jump. But it's a good illustration because that doesn't mean there weren't consequences of his actions. That doesn't mean that God is not loving. It doesn't mean that God is not all powerful. Could God have stopped that? I believe he could if he wanted to. But see, in his providence, he's put, it, he's put in place all of these frameworks. There's laws of nature. There's laws of morality. There's a moral code and ethics that the atheists even recognize exists, but they don't want to attribute it to God. This man had complete free will in making that decision, but he couldn't avoid gravity. He did, there was, there's not enough free will in the world for him to avoid the effects of gravity in that decision. God created us with free will. And not only did he instill in us this free will to make choices, he instilled us a responsibility to make choices and to make the right choices. If I choose to jump off of the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's going to have severe consequences. There's no other way around it. And that's a simple physical example, but all of the choices we make have some sort of consequences. Sometimes we get by with the fact that those consequences are not very significant, some of the choices we make in life are, are literally life and death in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. And I think free will is one of those things that makes life better. And it's, sometimes it's hard for people to realize that. But that doesn't mean there's no ramifications of that. I made a choice where I live. I know that my house is in a lower area than some houses. I can stand on my front porch and see houses that are 100 foot higher than mine in elevation. I know there's a creek bed that runs through there. I know that that has water in it from time to time. I've seen it for 15 years. I made the choice to live there. Some man made a choice to put a dam across that creek bed. And there's ramifications to that. There, enough water happened to cause significant consequences. It has no impact on the fact whether or not God loves us or whether or not God's in control or whether or not he's powerful. We have to live with some of our choices. Listen how... This is described in Deuteronomy. This is kind of toward the end of one of Moses' 
kind of big speeches to the children of Israel when he's, you know, essentially lecturing them on all the, the do's and don'ts, you know. But he, he kind of sums it up here talking about, talking about their choice in serving God. I call heaven, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Doesn't that sound like choices have to be made? He told them choices have to be made, and he called them life and death choices. And certainly you see that as you play out the history of the Israelites over and over again. Lots of poor choices were made. Sometimes good choices were made. And you see the ramifications of those choices. Sometimes things were going good for them because of what they chose and who they chose to serve, and sometimes they kind of forgot about all that. And things didn't go so well. And ultimately, you had people that didn't see the promised land because of those choices. You had people that didn't get to enter because of those choices. They're all around us. Remember how James described it? We studied the book of James a little while back. And I think this is one of those um, kind of important verses for Christians to understand in terms of sin. He said, Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the nature of sin, and we want to come up with all of these excuses and people to blame, and really, I think indirectly, a lot of times people are blaming God for that, and I think a lot of times that's what this crutch of God is in control is used for, is to help accommodate their lifestyles and the things that they do, and even their bad decisions sometimes. James said, sin's a product of your own choices. Sin's a product of your lust and giving in to that lust. Don't put God anywhere in that conversation. He gave you free will, but you had the will to make that right choice. And when you don't, that's sin. That's where sinful behavior comes from. In terms of the physical things in life, it, it, I don't know. Some, I, you get people that are in both camps. Some of this to me seems silly and common sense stuff. Does God really do that stuff? Does he really t- have you t- take that job or, or put you in that position on your own? Does he really force you to move? Does he really force all these things to happen? Does God want me to move across the country and take a job where I know there's no church presence or brothers and sisters to lean on or family to be? I don't believe God wants that, but I believe he gives me the free will to do it. Does he want me to move across country and move my family somewhere where there's a good church family and a strong, supportive Christian environment? I don't think he cares. Does he really care if I'm moving from one environment? If, if it doesn't impact my service to him, that's where free will comes in. And I think he gives you the ability to decide that. Does he care if one of those things feels real right for you? In your, he gives us the free will to make that decision. But he's not going to intervene and stop that from happening. I think this uh, discussion on how much God does or doesn't control, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak a little bit about time and chance. Luck, 
good luck, bad luck, all those kinds of things. Some people don't think that exists. Some people think all their life is because of time and chance. You know, as I said, this stuff lives on the extremes, it seems like. People live on the extremes with all this stuff. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43, you have heard that it's said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does he say? The, the rain rises on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on you whether you're evil or whether you're good. There's, not, there's nowhere in the world you can go that that doesn't happen. And we think about that as we see in life. We look around and you see wealthy people. Are they doing something right? Are they good people? Some of them are. Are they bad people? Some of them are. You know, Good people get rich. Evil people get rich. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to evil people. Some of this stuff is time and chance. That's what he said. The sun rises on everybody. Not remember in Luke chapter 13, there, the men there talking to him about some, some people that mix their blood with some sacrifices. And, and then it, there's a couple of examples in there. That Tower of Siloam is one that, that's mentioned there. And, that tower fell, killing 18 people. He said, you think they were worse than any of you? It's like, they all need to repent. Whether, whether the tower fell on them or not, you still need to repent. You still have a sin problem that he's dealt with. And so we look around and see these natural disasters and all this thing happen, and it's a futile exercise to think, were they worse people than I am? We're all sinners. We all need to repent. That's not God's nature. His, it's, it's not in his nature for us to sit here and, assign a blame to every little thing that happens in life. And that's what I want us to come away with. Let's think about it a little bit bigger. Let's think about his nature. How do we, in general, look at those things? We often leave out the product of man's choices as part of this discussion. And Sometimes the bad things that happen to us, oftentimes the bad things that happen to us are a product of our poor decision-making. And many times it's just a product of bad luck. You know, some of these things happen. Maybe we shouldn't have built a dam in this area where water runs down. Maybe it was just a poor decision. We didn't put in big enough culverts in it to allow the water to get through if there's that much. I don't know. Time and chance certainly happened. Remember what the wise men said? Time and chance happened to them all. All this stuff he goes through in this book, sometimes it's just luck, good or bad. And I mentioned, I think before too, times where I've felt like I really had life under control and you think you have so much control over things. And I think an important thing for us to get out of this as well is just how little we truly control things. And I think, I believe that one of the things that, especially bad things that happen to us, but even good things, standing on the beach in Maui, it is hard not to acknowledge your creator. It is a difficult thing to do. But when you see floodwaters rushing like they were doing the damage that they do or something destructive like these tornadoes and the destruction they do, it's pretty hard not to acknowledge our Creator at that point as well. And we're going to talk about that. I think a lot of the things like that that happen in our world, that's the very thing it should do is point us back to a Creator. The name Brian Harnden probably doesn't mean anything to anyone here. It didn't mean anything to me a month ago. When we were in Hawaii, we... Um, 
there's a there's a kind of famous tourist trap on Maui called the Road to Hana, and it's uh, it was about 75 miles from where we were staying, and it's and it takes if you drive it straight through, it takes about three and a half hours to go 75 miles. It's just a winding road up into a rainforest, and all the bridges are one lane, so you got to stop let people pass and all that kind of stuff. It's just a long, long, hard day. We set off on that day thinking we were, you know, going to see all these beautiful waterfalls. And we pull out of the resort town that we're staying in, and we pull up on an accident. And we were probably the seventh or eighth car on the scene. Emergency vehicles weren't there yet, but you could see up ahead, three or four cars ahead of us where the accident was. Something significant had happened. Somebody was clearly doing CPR on another person. And as we, the emergency vehicle showed up and its traffic slowed through there and we, we passed that intersection, it was clear to me that this man was not going to survive. His name was Brian Harnden. It made the Maui news. He was a 62-year-old man that lived in Lahaina, which is the town right by where we were staying, a beautiful coastal town on the west coast of Maui. This guy lived in paradise. And I saw him die. He, the images of his head laying on the pavement and blood running 30 feet down the road are something that I will never get out of my head the rest of my life. And I wonder about God's interaction with that. Does God love him more than me because he lived in paradise? I don't know how long he lived there. I know he was 62 years old. I suspect he had lived in Hawaii for a while. Did God love him more than me because he got to live in paradise? Maybe somebody calls the Texas Panhandle paradise. I don't know. There's times it's awfully beautiful here. But I've been to both now, and I guess if I had to pick one or the other in terms of describing paradise, I would lean toward Hawaii. Did God love me more than him because I got to visit paradise and I survived it? You see how futile this conversation can be? It's maddening when you try to describe all this, but I know... There's ramifications of those events that happened. This man lost his life. I know the young lady that hit him, life is not going to be the same because I saw her bawling into the arms of another motorist that had stopped because she knew what happened. She saw the same thing we were seeing, and she knew the results of that. I know it affected me for the rest of my life. Now, I'm not going to remember the name Brian Harden probably a month from now, but I'm going to see those images forever. So what's the point of it all? Well, I think it should point us back to our creator. All I can hope is that Brian Harnett had enough time to make the choices based on the free will that God had given him that were good choices. I hope the people that saw that event, the girl that hit him, the other people that witnessed that, I hope that it points them to their creator, and I hope they reflect on the free will they had and the choices they can make in their lives Because next time it might be them. Next time it might be me. Time and chance happen to everyone. And it can play a bigger purpose in our overall perspective on all this stuff. This was certainly a tragic situation. We see these tragic situations. I don't think most people would call that situation evil. But I think we should talk about the presence of evil. And I think sometimes this is... This is the one that people have the hardest time with. They, they have a hard time reconciling the fact that if God is such a loving God and really does have providential care, really provides for us, how can all of this evil exist? What about the presence of evil? Well, I'm convinced that all true evil is caused by sin, 
And we know certainly that sin was not authored by God. We know that sin was a product of man's choice. But God can't author sin. We, we just read how we, we sin when we give into our own lust, when we're drawn away by that, and we can't, we give into it. But we can't, I can't come to the conclusion based on these studies that God created any kind of evil. So what, what purpose is it? What is it? How do we view it? What's our perspective on it? Again, many people want to blame God for it, right? How can a loving God let a baby die? How can, you know, I saw there was a young kid in a, a young kid killed in, a, in one of these tornadoes. How can a loving God allow that to happen? Well, time and chance happen. Sometimes bad things happen. And it and it's really is a challenging thing on why bad things happen to good people. And while I can't give you all the answers as to why these things happen, I can say that they can serve a purpose. These, these things that happen can serve a purpose in our lives. Back in that same chapter in James, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These things serve a purpose. And I think it's to point us back to our Creator. It should point us back to Him. It should make us reflect on our lives. It should make us reflect on the fact that I have free will in my lives, and what am I doing with that? What's the product of the choices that I'm making? What kind of choices am I making? Am I making choices that lead to life or to death? Like Moses told him, you're going to make choices. Choose life. And that's the choices that we should make as we reflect on those things. Think about Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Again, one of those other really posterized verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does he say before that? He says, I've, I've been high, I've been low, probably everywhere in between. And I've learned how to be a base, and I've learned how to be exalted. And I've learned how to live in both. And to me, I think that's kind of the summary of this stuff. Whether it's I get to stand on a beach in Hawaii, or whether I'm dealing with thousands of dollars of damage to our roads, you can't get too high or too low. You kind of got to be centered on that stuff. And you got to have a good perspective on it. Let's use these bad things to help us bring into focus the fact that we serve a God that's sovereign, that we serve a powerful God, that he's given us the ability to make choices, that he expects us to make choices and make good ones. Which may leads us to maybe the most important lesson we can learn from all this, and that's the fact that he's made provision for us. Providence. God's pro- God has providence. He has made provision for us. And we should have the right perspective on this. And I think that's the entire discussion here is how can we have that right perspective? Remember when they came to get Jesus, he says, Behold, one of them, one of those who were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So they weren't, you know, they were ready to fight. They were ready to pull out weapons. And of course, we know, we know the scriptural stance on that. My kingdom's not of this world. Right? What did Jesus say to this guy? Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish with the sword. He wasn't looking for that kind of fight. That wasn't important to him. He said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 
But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You know what that is? For Jesus, that's free will. That's a choice that he made. And it really was a life and death choice. It was a choice that he could have called thousands of angels and ended it all. He had the free will to do that. It was given to him. But what was his concern? His concern was the will of the Father. And that's our point this morning. As we make these choices and we look around all these things that happen in life, point back to the Creator. Choose life, like Moses told him. Make the choice that leads to life. And I'm so grateful that God made provision for us. People want all the time to attach these puppet strings to the things that happen in life, and they want God to control every little thing in their lives. He already has. He's already made all the provision that we need, and he's given you the free will to make that choice. If you're here today and you understand that you have a sin problem or you understand that there's struggles in life and things that we go through and things that we deal with, you need to have a proper perspective about these things. Is God in control this morning? I believe he is. Does that mean you don't need to make some choices? It certainly does not. I hope this morning that you'll focus your time and effort and you see these events happen and all these good things that happen in your life and especially the bad things that happen in your life. Is it wrong to give God thanks? I'm grateful that I got to go to Hawaii. And I think that's a blessing from God. I don't believe he stuck me on a plane and sent me there out of some specific design, but I think he gives us the will to enjoy the blessings that he's given with us. And I'm grateful that we got to do that. And I think we should give thanks for our blessings. And I want to be clear on that this morning. That I'm not in either of the extreme camps on this and don't want to be, but I also believe we should be grateful. We should thank God for blessings. We should ask God to help us. We should ask him to help those that are sick. We should ask him to help us, give us wisdom. We should hope that he will grant us those. And we know that the Bible says he will do those things. If you're here this morning and you need help in any form, the church wants to help you, and we invite you to come as we sing this invitation song.